welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back for another week of women's football chats, so let's get into it. It's me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington and Angela Christian Wilkes this week. Not an exhaustive pod, but a pod nonetheless. And when it comes to pods, we like to start things off with some you love to see it. So let's crack straight into those. Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? Sure. My you love to see it this week. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday. It is the morning after uh, Women's Champions League, third match day. And my you love to see it was watching Joe Montemuro's Juventus equalising in the most chaotic way possible in the in stoppage time against Wolfsburg. Uh, they got came into the 90th minute, 2-1 down, and Wolfsburg had a player sent off for two yellow cards. The resulting free kick, which moved into stoppage time, sort of pinged around the area and was belted home by Christiana Durelli for 2-2. It was completely insane. Wolfsburg had approximately a billion shots. So it's kind of miraculous that Juventus were able to get a point out of it. So Joe Montemuro doing great things for Juventus in the Champions League. You'd love to see it. As merchants of chaos that, you know, pleases us greatly, a very chaotic injury time kind of equaliser. Anna, are you love to see it? Well, you know, I'm going to be predictable. I'm going to go with, it's Sam Kerr. It's Sam Kerr having a day out. Sam Kerr doing the thing. Uh, she was at it again in the Champions League. Two goals in the space of three minutes and also a couple of assists in Chelsea's belting win um, in the Champos. So Sam Kerr just keeps on keeping on doing Sam Kerr things and hopefully we see that form come into the Matildas games later this month. So Sam Kerr doing Sam Kerr things. You love to see it. Your brand is immaculate. I respect the the commitment to it. Angela, are you love to see it? Yeah. Um, FAWSL was back this weekend and I love to see Rhea Percival's, I, I don't know if it counts as a freak goal, but it was, it's a real fun goal. It's basically from halfway. She took a free. It just like soared through the air, did this little bounce. Past Mary Earps, and it's so funny, Mary. I should probably say which game this was in. Sorry, Maria Percival plays for Spurs, um, and they were playing against Manchester United, and she scored this cracking equaliser in the um, in extra time, and it's just fantastic. It's like, like I said, from halfway, just beautiful. It is real, like, like I said before, wow, like just excellent stuff. And afterwards, you can see Mary Earps just look, standing there, looking like confused, and just like what. What just happened to me? And I don't know. It's, it was fantastic. Couldn't have stopped it. Anyway, yeah, you'll love to see it. And also Spurs are third at the moment, which is kind of wild. Um, and so Chelsea and then Arsenal are above them. So this FAWSL season is shaping up to be pretty interesting. So you'll love to see it. Good for them. We absolutely love to see it. Quick, you love to see it's from me. There were Olympicos. I couldn't watch them because the African Champions League is not available in my region, but there was an Olympico in the African Women's Champions League. So thank you to friend of the pod, a pod uh, Jonathan Tannemol, for tagging me in that. And there was almost an Olympico, but the New Zealand National League robbed us of an Olympico because they decided that it was touched before it crossed the line or whatever. So not mad. I'm just disappointed, New Zealand. But if you see an Olympico, tag me in it because it brings me joy. So... We love to see Olympicos, but let's crack into some other things we love to see. 
Friendlies, the Matildas, the US women's national team on Australian soil. What an absolutely wild concept. 21 years after their last dance down under, they are coming back. We've got a two-game friendly series in New South Wales at the end of this month. They'll be playing in Sydney and Newcastle. So it's exciting. It's a big deal. Like beyond just the excitement of Matilda's games on home soil, having the US down here is a really big deal. So what are you guys looking forward to with these upcoming friendly games, Harrow? I'm kind of going to dive straight into squad chat, I think, and we'll go into that because the US have released their squad. This is a well-timed pod, isn't it, guys? Um, but it's going to be two really exciting squads. Um, we know that these games are always super exciting. Like, they're always physical. They're always fierce and aggressive. We, got a lot, have, we have a lot of players who've played over there. And in this squad, one thing that excites me is this US squad has a lot of players who've played in the dub. We're going to call them dub products because uh, that's what Americans love to do about uh, players like Sam Kerr, call them, call them NWSL products. So we got the likes of pretty much a whole defence there, like Abby Dahlkemper, Sophia Huerta. It's great to see her back in the in the fold. She hasn't played for the US for a while. Uh, Emily Sonnet, um, Christy Mewis, a lot of people forget, did play in the W League for Canberra. Brief little foray. Um, obviously, we know Lynn Williams and Ashley Hatch, I believe, played for Melbourne City a few years back. So, like, just a few blasts from the past there. But ultimately, it's exciting. This is going to be a relatively young uh, US Women's National Team squad. A lot of their sort of up-and-comers are involved, like your Katarina Macario, um, for one. You've got players who've been on the fringes, like Mitch Purse, in this squad. So a lot of um, players that people might not necessarily know that well, but are really exciting and will pose a really good test for our um, for our players. I do feel a little bit for Football Australia's marketing team because they won't be able to use photos of, like, Megan Rapino or Alex Morgan, who won't be there. Tobin Heath won't be there. Your Kelly O'Hara's. A lot of really experienced US players aren't there. Um, I'm not sure if partly that's because they want to have a young team. It also coincides, I think, with Thanksgiving over there. There's probably a couple of players maybe with the vaccine mandates. You're not sure if that's had an impact. But the main thing is it's a really young and exciting USA team. And this is the, you'd have to think a fair few of these players will be ones that will be trying to cement themselves coming up to 2023. So this is probably going to be more like the sort of team, bar a few additions, that we will see if we come up against them in a couple of years' time. So it's exciting. They're always good tests. They're, it should be a young, fresh team, a lot of players looking to prove themselves along with a few big names. And, um, yeah, it's as I said, it's always entertaining, right, Sam? It's always entertaining. It's always entertaining watching the reaction of uh, US Women's National Team fans on social media to literally any decision that they make. Um, the reaction about the squad release here from a lot of people that I first saw was, oh, like, where, where are the big players? I want to watch the big, like, they want to watch the big players as much as we do. But I'm like, I'm really excited by this squad. I'm, I'm really excited by them for exactly the reasons that you were talking about, Harry. I love that they're young. I love that there are so many with no caps or fewer than 10 caps. We'll almost definitely see a bunch of them playing in both of these friendlies against Australia. And I think by virtue of that as well, I'm hoping that Tony Gustafson and Football Australia choose uh, a squad that's similarly geared that it's a squad that does have a number of fringe and uncapped players who are actually going to get some significant minutes because in the previous couple of games that we've played, we've sort of had the same rough 
sort of core. And I think this is a really good opportunity when the US is arguably a bit weaker than what we would have expected, that we're going to be able to put up um, a squad that is able to match that in terms of our development progress, because we're trying to build towards 2023 as well. And we've got a bunch of players who need to play against these kinds of standards if they want to make themselves you know a, a, a sort of a lock-in for that tournament in 18 months time so I hope that we sort of mirror what the USA are doing with this squad and are able to bring through a bunch of players who we haven't seen yet but are going to get an amazing opportunity against a really good side or alternatively <laughs> a squad thump them Uh, (laughs) what am I feeling anyway that's just my sort of vibe and it is really interesting so the um especially the the dub names they have been um out and about for a few years so I'm interested in sort of what their role will be and whether it's going to be an ongoing in an ongoing capacity or if they're more there to sort of balance out the inexperience of some of the younger players in these sort of friendly matches so like are we going to be seeing the likes of an Ashley Hatch or an Emily Sonnet further down the line they've got a bit more experience under their belt but or is this a yeah basically an opportunity for them to get right back into the fold for um, the more serious tournaments coming up in the future kind of interested to see where that goes um, in particular but yeah Anna um, I really like the look of this. Well, don't I don't particularly like the look of it because it doesn't look so fun for us. Um, though no Juliet's obviously no Sam Mewis, but I think this could be a really good test for our midfield. Um, Andy Sullivan is a is a good defensive midfielder. I remember when we were talking to Steph Young about this, um, she was probably one of the players that was maybe a little bit unlucky to miss out on the Olympics, given they just didn't really have a six after Julia. So we're like, Lindsay Horan, how about you do this for a while? Um, this is going to be, I think, uh, the first time Lindsay Horan wears the number 10 as well. Uh, the US Women's National Team did a really classy little um, ceremony with um, sort of thing with Carly Lloyd effectively handing over her number 10 shirt to Horan. So that midfield, if you have any of those um, especially Horan, Lavelle and Sullivan in a midfield, that's going to be a really good test. And Christy Mewis as well is um, one of the form players, obviously, of the NWSL of the last couple of years. So there's a lot of different threats there. I think it's also good because it's not so predictable. It's not like, oh, God, you've got to deal with Juliet and you know that Megan Rapinoe is going to be a threat out wide. Like There's a lot of different players to test out and they're, they're going to be getting a feel for things as well. They're almost quite similar in the sense that you've got a couple of players who would be really experienced, like say in their back line, like a Becky Sauber and we've got Polks. And then they've got other players who are trying to sort of stamp their authority and really make a name for themselves. So it should be really exciting. Um, I'll be intrigued to see how many Americans are in the crowd at these couple of games. But this is, I mean, this is the sort of the rejuvenation they had to have. And we talked about it with Steph um, in terms of, it sort of got pushed back a year because of the Olympics being a bit of a send-off or the big moment for a lot of those players. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think these games might be quite fascinating and especially for, for Tony who would have dealt with a lot of these players, but they wouldn't have been his mainstays when he was working um, with the senior team at least. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I'm just looking forward to seeing our squad name too. Um, Sam, I'm, I'm kind of in the, in the middle of, you want to see some young players? but you wouldn't mind if we just went out and fucking thrashed them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, of course, like we want to, we want to win and, and to make uh, to, to win against the USA would obviously be a big statement, but it's always probably going to be qualified by the fact that this is 
sort of a development U.S. women's national team squad, if we really look at it, you know, if we really break it down. I think only 10 of the players included went to Tokyo and the rest are sort of fringe and, and, and youth players. So by virtue of that, like winning, yes, awesome. But, you know, the team with which we win and the way in which we win, I think is going to be more important. If we're able to beat them with our own version of this, I think that would be even more impressive than if we were to put up, you know, our strongest starting 11 and try and thrash them in the way that we hoped to do when we were in Tokyo. Um, But yeah, no, you're right, Harry, like this is going to be really interesting. And this is, uh, it almost feels like this friendly series sort of similar to Brazil is going to be a preview of 2023. These are the players that you can expect are going to compete, not just there, but also at the Paris Olympics in 2024. This is the next gen who are coming through and that, in itself is really exciting. And yeah, even though Football Australia is sort of like are kicking themselves because they don't have the big names to sell tickets, there are so many other ways in which you can attract interest to football. And given that Australian football at the moment is in this sort of space where it's figuring out its own identity and when it comes to the leagues in particular, where I think we're fairly settled on the idea that we're, we are a development league and that we're the sort of the... Um, the greenhouse for the next generation of players. I think that's the framework in which you can understand and really get hyped about this game because this is the start of this process, right? These are the next Sam Kerrs, the next Alex Morgans. Like that in itself is really cool. Um, but yeah, and I'm really curious to see how how Tony is able to respond to this tactically too. Um, these are you know, lots of players who aren't, really familiar with playing with one another in these kinds of ways and against this kind of opposition. So, yeah, I mean, like we might actually nip it with a, with a team that Tony has been sort of starting to bring into um, to generate more chemistry between um, over the course of the last couple of camps. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unpredictable. And that's ultimately, I think, what you want, especially if you're a neutral. And it's interesting seeing um, Meg Linehan from The Athletics saying this is officially, this is the new cycle. The new cycle is officially underway. They've got the farewell tour for Carly Lloyd done, which would have, I imagine, been planned to be a celebration tour of winning gold, which they did not do. Um, but like they've got that out the way. They're now moving into the new era. The I think this is the, Meg said here, the, Average age of their roster on the opening day of the Olympics was 30.8 years old. This roster is 26.3. Katarina Macario is the only overseas-based player. It's NWSL heavy. Um, and l- let's be honest, if you took Becky Sabrin out of this squad, the, uh, the average age probably drops a fair bit too. So it's um, it's intriguing. The, the forwards, Sam, are what really intrigued me as well because it's not just pace. It's not... Like there's guile, there's some really crafty forwards in there. There's a few players who've been playing a bit together at club level, who've been breaking out in the in the NWSL. And I, I even mentioned your players like Christy Mewis and then Macario is listed as a midfielder here. But all these players are really creative and can score and create goals and I think are going to be a really, really good test because I, th- I think we've talked about um, the Matildas having to be wary of not getting broken open in terms of pace and I guess the roles of players like Ellie Carpenter in that. So it's going to be some really intriguing tactical battles. And yeah, as you say, it's going to be, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's exciting when you see new names come through and uh, yeah, I think everyone that's there for these couple of games is, is going to have a, a ball of a time. I have a question for people who know things. So Australians going to come 
back from FAWSL or are we anticipating that we might not have the usual big names because of the sort of disruption to club that this would present, especially after the last international break? International break, I think. So they just have they have to be released and then they have to be let go in a timely manner by Australia to go back. Well, we just had one. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just- <laughs> FIFA breaks do what they feel, Angela. Sometimes you don't have one for ages and then you have a couple really close together. They just live their best life, to be honest. FIFA right. does whatever they want as we are learning more and more each day. That's this so- is about biennial World Cups. I'm mad, but it's fine. Oh. Thinking about that, though, Jonas Edeval at Arsenal said something interesting over the last couple of days, which was that he is going to refuse to release players outside of the FIFA windows. Like... I think it's sort of understood that, you know, all players have to be released in the FIFA windows, obviously, because that's, you know, it's the rules. But I think there traditionally has been a bit of leeway either side by clubs that allows players to travel and to acclimatise and things like that. But Edeval, perhaps because of how well Arsenal are doing at the moment and the kind of chemistry they've created, is being really adamant that he's not going to waver when it comes to releasing players on either side of that window. So that may affect the Aussie trio that we have at Arsenal in terms of their release dates and how soon they can get here. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Well, it's it's kind of just getting, as we've said before, Sam, more and more like the men's game, like looking at the Socceroos, um, for example, not to go too far into men's football, but they're playing on Thursday this week. And as of about Tuesday, they only had about five players in camp, most of whom were based uh, in the A-League men's competition. So we're going to see it get more and more like like that. And I think that's why bar the sort of games that they want to knock over on Australian soil, we'll probably continue to see more played in Europe, not only because of it's easier to get those sorts of opponents, but because it's less travel time and duress on, on those players, similar to what we've seen in the men's game in the past. You want to get those games on home soil when you can, but that gets juggled a little bit with player availability. But yeah, glad that's not our problem to deal with. Is that just like they've got five people? So it's just like, all right, lads, set up the soccer tennis again. Here we go. Just 2v2, <laughs> rotating, rotating, just... Then lunch. I don't, I don't know what you would do with that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, just describing like, my ideal you know, Saturday. You know when footballers, they do their five-a-sides and they're so competitive that they always post on Instagram that their little five-a-side team won. It's just like, same group, <laughs> same group again. <laughs> We're all winners here. They do love a, a five-a-side. Or, you know, they're all wearing their green bibs and it's like, go green, and <laughs> just like whatever, whatever side they're in. Uh, last few notes on the friendlies. So um, that Meg Linehan article about the uh, squad breakdown also noted that Kelly O'Hara, Mallory Pugh and Trinity Rodman all opted out of this uh, camp and stuff for differing various reasons. So good and bad, would have really liked to have seen Trinity Rodman, to be honest. She's been fantastic, has been likened to a Sam Kerr. So would have loved to have seen her down here. But unfortunately, hopefully we get to see her Uh, at some other time but as for our squad once that's released we will obviously talk about it but in the meantime grab your tickets to these two games they're the 27th and the 30th 27th at Stadium Australia 30th at McDonald Jones in Newcastle so get around them if you can't travel of course they'll be on Network 10 and 10 play so lots of ways for you to enjoy these games but let's go a bit more local now we've now got a full 
A-League women's fixture. I nearly said W-League. This is going to be the entire like season. I'm just going to accidentally say W-League. So apologies in advance, but we've got a full A-League women's season fixture out now. Very exciting. Lots of 505 kickoffs. That's a reference to one of my tweets. Go look at my Twitter, everyone. Um, but it's exciting and it's really nice that we're now in a space in terms of border restrictions and stuff that we kind of have a full fixture that you know barring little bits and pieces is set in stone and we're going to be able to kind of have this season with hopefully minimal disruptions hopefully the Knicks are going to be able to play in Wellington which is a super exciting thing as well so what are we looking forward to with the A-League women's season? What are our kind of initial thoughts and vibes now that we know what we're actually dealing with? Is there no, not to have a whinge up front, but someone who's looked at the fixture more than me, no, th- no Thursday nights anymore? Is that right? It's not a thing. I don't think so. There's a couple, but I think that's closer to um like the kind of Christmas New Year period where it's kind of just football every day rather than a specific dedicated Thursday night, which is sad. We do love a Thursday night. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just accept that that's a thing of the past and move on. That's That was my initial thought. I don't know. I've, I've got thoughts and feelings about the victory um, home games, but if someone wants to intervene before we go completely off the rails with double-headed chat. Well, it's good. It's like that's sort of t- talk big picture, right? So there are pros and cons to this, mm. as there always are with fixture releases. Um, it's great to have certainty about where and when games are going to be played. It's great that more women's games are going to be played in big stadiums with proper broadcasting uh, infrastructure, which means that we're not going to get repeats of last I can't believe Sam's audio. On same, okay. Shit, what happened? When did they broke, stop? You broke you're up in, a little bit. You're like, you basically, uh, for those playing at home, Sam started to talk about not having the same broadcast issues as we did last year. But broadcast issues. <laughs> Yeah. And then this massive bolt of sun came through the window and, and like then this took up the whole like the screen. And all of a sudden, a man with a tuba was in Sam's living room. And then Marissa's room. audio <laughs> cut out. Shambles. Oh. So no, my broadcast issues will continue, but the, hopefully it's the A-League women's competition whose broadcast issues are, are no more. Um but, yeah, so hopefully it means being in, in bigger stadiums means that it's going to be high-quality broadcasts. It means that it's going to be great commentary. It's going to be proper um, and really good quality fields in terms of grass. Um, one of the good things that I really liked about this season and the new CBA was that there was a, a little piece of information in there about how players didn't want to be playing on artificial turf anymore, which is a great um, a great step forward. But again, the uh, you know it has a flip side, and the flip side, as Angela alluded to, is that it does mean that there are going to be more double headers, and double headers means that women's games are going to be pushed back earlier in the day. Um, they're going to be at a time that might make it a bit more difficult for people to get there. And Angela, if you wanted to go into the very specific difficulty for Melbourne Victory fans, I think that would be uh, useful because it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, um, I'm holding off going full Karen Buckaro, as I said on Twitter, just because they are going to clarify ticketing. But that was my initial 
response. So first of all, all of Melbourne Victory's home games are going to be doubleheaders with the men's. And I haven't looked at the A-League fixture, but I assume that's the women playing and then the men. So that will lead to the all of those problems that we've experienced in the past. We're trying to get to stadiums at difficult times. Um, I know there's also, I think a lot of the issues, historical issues with doubleheaders could be like fixed with a few tweaks around the edges um, but it just, those things have to happen. So for example, I know Victory Vikings have been talking about how doubleheaders, it's really hard to create, like sort of set up in the way that they would like to, and to be able to engage with players after the game and to sort of, um, build their, their fan culture there. And there's also the additional problems with access. So getting into the stadium early, um, that's been a thing in the past, um, in being able to just get there half an hour beforehand you just sometimes you just haven't been able to get into the stadium which has been really frustrating so those are things that it's like if someone's thinking about those things they could be fixed which would be nice but the other thing my me taking it personally I'm like I've spent money on a W League membership which covers entry to all games bar double headers so Melbourne Victory will be clarifying that but I am interested to see what the cost is going to look like um with this like sort of configuration of home games because I I don't know I don't know if I want to pay A-League money I don't even know really how much A-League tickets are at the moment does anyone well I know that it's much more than like 10 bucks and that's just like you know women's sports privilege but um is it it's a really pri- I don't know if that's really a privilege but anyway we don't need to get into that but you know what I mean that's that's what I'm potentially interested in knowing if my membership doesn't cover any games and I'm gonna be like what uh thanks for the cool bag and the pen I suppose but anyway I'll hold off I will I will not assume the worst I will be positive I will not be a negative Nancy Anna take it away take take the mic off me please get it, get it sorted clubs you don't want angry W League members coming after you is what I'd say um yeah it's, it's an interesting one it's a, a discussion point I was having with people who are into women's football and not so much into women's football when I guess the the draw came out like double headers is always an, an interesting thing and you get different responses um like obviously Sam you hinted at a few things and so did you Angela there's things like um women's sport and it's a conversation that comes up with AFL and AFLW is um you get a different environment at the games you get a different atmosphere and if you want a really detailed talk about this our discussion on when uh, bottles got thrown at Tegan Micah uh, is a good example of that. It's generally a very friendly atmosphere. Um, it's, a, it's a different one. But at the same time, you can understand why they they want to do this. They want to um, have a consistent home ground for the for the players, for the, um, for the team, for people to go along. You would think it will increase crowds. It usually does. But as I think there's a really important balancing act there in terms of the timing between the two games because five hours in one stadium is a long time. It's a really long time if you're not working or if you're not, I don't know, a massive nuffy. If you've got kids, you probably don't want to go to two games. There's the cost factor that you mentioned, Angela, in terms of if people just want to go to the W League or sorry, the A-League women game, can they um, can they get a reduced rate and then get punted at full time? Like what are the options there? Will they have um, food and drink open and, uh, I don't know, cheaper beers I think is something that is, is an important point for a lot of fans. They don't want to sit in paying uh, stadium drinks rates for five hours um, because a lot of people do tend to go to the pub or 
go out for lunch or whatever before they go to A-League men games. So I think there's a whole lot of different factors there. The, the one big positive um, that you get from doubleheaders is in terms of coverage. And um, we'd mentioned before in terms of the broadcast, Sam, like obviously you have the good camera set up, you have the commentators in place. Um, my understanding is a lot of players really enjoy doubleheaders, better facilities, um, you've got, you know, Amy Park, for example, is a carpet. And I think it's the same with like Combank Stadium, for example. Um, and in terms of coverage, I think we've touched on this before, but in terms of getting media outlets there, uh, there's a lot more incentive to have photographers and journalists there for back-to-back rather than having a game out in Epping that clashes with different sports or the men's team or different things, or it's just difficult and not accessible to get to. I mean, if there's one thing you can say about an Amy Park is it's very accessible. It's very easy to get to. But again, it's a, it's a juggling out. So I think you will see hopefully better media and um, I guess broadcast coverage of the game with the more double headers you get. And I think it is good that they are aiming to have players play at as many quality venues as possible. Um, We talked about this last season when we were discussing broadcast issues. This is really us showing off what we have before the World Cup. I think that's an important thing to note is if people are looking at Australia in terms of coming here in 18 months, they go, oh, look, they've got, you know, Melbourne Victory, the champions, they're playing at a top stadium. Maybe they're not getting perfect crowds, but the crowds might build and it might get better. And they're at least playing on good facilities. They're not as you said, Sam, on artificial turf, they're not, um, you know, trekking out to suburban grounds and that sort of thing. And also the TV product will look a lot better. So I think there's an element of that as well. There's an audition in terms of what you can see on camera, what you can see from afar or when you're in the stands and um, the experience for the players in terms of attracting more players to the W League. Um, you, you can't beat quality, especially when you have players coming from overseas that want to have a look at it. And as I mentioned, the the more coverage, the better as well. So it's an interesting one. And from a particularly Melbourne Victory standpoint, it does feel like maybe they are trying to embrace a bit more of a one-club feel rather than, oh, yeah, W League. (laughs) You know, the women's team go and play off on a Sunday in Epping if you can be bothered going out there. At least they are maybe trying something different. But jury's out, I guess. It's a really good point, Harry, that you made about an audition. Um, because it does feel like it's a, it's always been a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, right? Like, do you build a really great community fan culture, which then attracts media and broadcasters, or do you give the league really great media coverage, really good broadcast standards, and help the players to improve their own game by giving them better facilities, which thereby attracts more fans because they watch it on TV. They say, oh, that looks awesome. The you know, game is really good quality. Players are cool. I might go to the next one in person. And I think they're going for the latter. These decisions suggest to me that they're going for the latter. They're wanting to raise all of the um, structural standards around the league. And then by virtue of that, fans will start to flock. And I think fans were going to start to flock regardless because we're hosting the Women's World Cup. Um, And a number of these players could potentially be in the mix for that. But by giving them really professional treatment and giving them all of the things that they need to thrive as players and to increase the standard of the actual game itself, I think that is going to have a knock-on effect by attracting more fans and putting more bums on seats in the end. 
Um, the fact that it's on Channel 10 is a really important um, piece in that whole puzzle as well. The fact that it's on free to air, it's going to be in accessible time periods for, for neutral fans and for other fans watching from outside of the particular stadiums. Um, and all of the stuff that we've already started to see in terms of Channel 10 um, and the APL leveraging um, the various network connections that Channel 10 has with other shows and other kinds of opportunities for players to get their names and their clubs out there. I think ultimately that's going to have a really big ripple effect in, in generating more community interest and more, more fan interest and ultimately helping to build the culture that we're talking about. I don't mind that they're trying something different as well, Sam. Like, let's be honest, as much as we maybe enjoy going out to um, to Epping or to, uh, I don't know, what the Sydney equivalent would have been, maybe Cromer Park by the artificial turf, it's clearly not attracting the masses. They were very small crowds. Um, they were hard to get to. They weren't accessible or in, in the case of Epping, particularly accessible on PT. There were broadcast issues, which we don't need to go into again, but, like, all of those things I felt were setting the league back. Like, you don't want to look at, as we say, when you're selling the league overseas, as I imagine they're trying to do and when we talk about an audition, tiny suburban ground where the pitch doesn't necessarily look that great, there's not many people in the stands and the broadcast was cutting out. Like, it, it just gives it an amateur look, doesn't it? Like, and they want it to, I, I remember talking to Danny Townsend, and it's not about this specific thing, but when we were talking about the leagues, he said, you only get one chance to sort of relaunch your sport, and this is their chance. And if this is what they think will give, well, no, we'll, we'll show that the, the A-League women's competition is a polished product. It's a good quality competition with good players and it's being treated with respect not only by the people who run the league but by the broadcasters, by the clubs, then that's going to go a long way to shifting perceptions and um, and making more people want to come. But as we say, it's, it's on the clubs to, to make sure that this really works. You can't have, and I don't think this is the case this time, two-hour gaps between kickoffs. You can't have... Um, you know, like the get the gate, gate's not opening until your first game's kicked off. Like I think these are all the things that they have to have learnt from and hopefully we see, as Angela said, the things around the edges sort of smoothed out and made into the best possible uh, version of this it can be. I think also the bonus with consistency, um, again, approaching it from a victory perspective here, but like having it at Amy Park, if there are those issues the first game, like we know that there's going to be another game there very soon and we can ask for better and to highlight those issues as fans. Whereas like when um, I guess victory were a bit more nomadic in their home grounds that couldn't really work. Cause you'd be like, Oh, this is like this, the last 80 game of the season. So I'll just like cop it, whatever, you know, there's no point popping off too much um but the consistency as well will be really good as you say Anna in terms of bringing fans along there's no confusion you don't need to be like oh they're playing at Lakeside on this date at this time but then they're playing at a completely different venue two weeks after and then a completely different like I think the consistency will be really nice um and to develop those like those routines and rituals will be really nice as well and of course if you miss trekking really far Melbourne City is still based out at Kingston Heath. So we still have that, that boutique stadium offering on the table for Melbourne-based, um, yeah, dub fans, I suppose. Um, 
I'm intrigued to see how that's going to pan out as well because um, traditionally I've found that Melbourne City have been a lot more on the ball in terms of holistically marketing um, doubleheaders for their, their women's teams more so than Melbourne Victory, but we might actually see an inverse of that just because City are going to be based a little bit like separately. It's a strange divergence happening. Um, but, yeah, and I suppose I, I'm a little bit in my heart, I'm like, grab at the dub am I just going to post a photo of a pie every week like Amy Park food is not nice it's no Hume kebabs you know but it's all right I'll work through it because that's the thing it's about compromise um and you know we, we have to let go of sitting on the scratchy Olympico end grass at some point and no Marissa I'm sorry <laughs> I'll be throwing the sandwiches from the media box down to you Thank you, you. As you demanded, as you demanded. Yes. It's also a competitive advantage, right, for a team like the Melbourne Victory if you're consistently at the same home ground. We talked about this with Sydney FC last season. They were here, there, and everywhere. If you're Victory, you're defending champions. Why make things more difficult for yourselves? Play at Amy Park every week, and then if you make the finals, and you're in a – which we think Victory will be in a very good position to do, and you have a game at a big venue, you're familiar with it. You know what you're doing. You're not um, going, oh, I don't really know this pitch. They'll know it well. They they train there. They're based there. They play there. I mean, that's what the men's team have. So that's, um, I imagine, for the players, that'd be quite satisfying. Is there anything else you want to touch on with the draw generally? There's a few There's a few venues, TBC, like it looks like Perth is TBC. Um, I imagine there's a bit to figure out still in terms of borders and those sorts of things. Looks like City and Brisbane have a couple of games to get to lock in, but otherwise not too many surprises, I would have thought. That's the other part of this as well. So a lot of other teams will still have those smaller stadium experiences. Um, So I'm really keen to see how those clubs in particular will lean into this rebrand. But I think that's, that's my final thoughts. There is one uh, round that's probably worth noting, which is round eight. Um, none of the venues aside from one game uh, nor the times have been confirmed. And my theory is because the the A-League women's is going to be taking a break for the Asian Cup. But I don't know because I'm like looking at the dates and it should go into, it technically should go into round nine because the women's Asian Cup finishes in early February, but round nine is continuing in late January. So I don't know to what extent the competition will take a break for that two week tournament or whether clubs are just going to be expected to, uh, in the same way that we spoke about earlier, to, to give up their players to go and participate in this competition. Because we do have a bunch of current Matildas, Kara Cooney Cross, for example, who is going to have to up and leave in order to participate. So yeah, that'll be a curious thing to see happen for really, I guess, the first time. It's also going to be interesting with double headers whether that is still going to be marketed as family friendly, and I guess they'll lead on to other forms of marketing in the league more broadly as family friendly or not. Um, yeah, because to be honest, I'm a little bit over the family friendly thing, um, and I. There's probably alternatives that could be explored. Yeah. Um, well, I think that 
So part of, so again, we're using kind of Melbourne Victory as the case study here because I think it's relevant to this particular topic of conversation. But I think part of the ethos of the doubleheaders is the one club mentality, which links into then also the wider kind of APL thing of it's not men's football, it's not women's football, it's football, which is a very noble, good thing that we support. And part of the doubleheader thing is also, I assume, geared at families, as in take your kids, see all their heroes, regardless of gender, support the whole club, even though doubleheaders are probably the least family-friendly type of fixture, as Harrow was talking about earlier. You know, I can't imagine taking children to five hours of football like... It's hard to take them to a one game. You can't take little kids to... Often people have to leave like at halftime or whatever if they've got little kids. That's I. So I I feel like part of the reasoning for the doubleheaders was to appeal to families, but that's a very flawed logic. Just obviously, we none of us have kids, so we can't really speak from a a place of experience here. But I know other like a couple of people in my mentions were like, "Oh, I took my kid to a doubleheader once and excited to do it again." But I feel like it is, it's a novelty factor. You do it once. You prepare yourself. You psych yourself up. You make sure you've got all your snacks and your colouring books and anything else that you may need to kind of get through this day. And then you don't do it again because it's an exhausting kind of exercise, even though there are so many positives to it. And in theory, the idea of one ticket for two games is excellent. I just... I'm I'm still worried about the actual kind of logistical and practical applications of the doubleheader as a way in which we do things. Sorry, that was a lot. No, 100%. And I think it's um, in terms of like family friendly as well, it's quite limiting in who it appeals to. If You, you don't have to market it as just family friendly, but um, you can market the leagues to other people and as we're finding in our own friendship circles, those people go on to have babies that they will take to the A-Leagues and will pass on tradition and that sort of thing. So I think there's value in that. I don't know. I just sort of grew up, my dad would take me to any game regardless of the vibe. So I'm sort of just like, it doesn't really need to be marketed as family friendly, but I understand in terms of if you're not a soccer person, there does need to be that sort of invitation in. Um, to bring your kids and your family to games. I don't know. Um, but it, I'll be um, interested to see how that goes over the course of the season and how those sorts of things are framed. But, yeah, you make a good point. I can't – I only get through, like, double headers with beer and that's just not an option if you're below 18. So I don't know. That's fair. It's so nice to have some certainty, like relatively early, like um, on what the, like I'm sure there might have to be a bit of tweaks here and there, um, but I feel like this might be the first season in a couple of years where you don't, well, the last the, two years ago they managed to get the full season away before COVID really hit. But compared to last season, you think, bar whatever happens with Perth and they managed to get through last season, most of this should be pretty concrete. So that's exciting. We've got something to look forward to. The dub. How good. We'll never stop calling it the dub. We really won't. And I think I just wanted to stress this because I feel like I need to. We all want this to succeed. Our discussions about doubleheaders and their merits and all these other kind of things don't come from a place of like, you know, wanting people to fail or 
wanting to kind of point and say we were right. We want everything to succeed. So we all have the best interests of the dub at heart. Let's talk about some other things. Let's get into some how goods. Sam, do you want to share a how good? My how good this week is sort of a how bad because I feel really sad about it, but it's an opportunity to celebrate someone. So today on Wednesday, Formiga, Brazilian legend, announced her retirement from international football. Formiga is the world record holder for not only the most appearances at World Cups, but also she is the only player to appear at every single women's football tournament at the Olympics. And both of those are seven, seven cycles of those two tournaments. She is the oldest player to score at a Women's World Cup at the age of 39. She just has so many incredible records to her name. She has been a mainstay of the Brazil women's national team for decades and she is still playing club football she's not retiring from football she's still playing and all the way up until most recently I think 2019 she was playing for PSG you know like she is still got a motor on her she is still the Formiga we know and love but she's stepping away from international duty Uh, the final game is going to be in a friendly tournament game against India which is a, a sort of a nice folding into various kinds of spheres in terms of Asian cup and all that sort of stuff um but yeah, I mean, she she's just an incredible athlete. She's an incredible person. She I tweeted about this as well. She was born when women's football and, and women playing football was banned in Brazil. And she is retiring when it is a professional endeavor. That's just such an extraordinary life and career to span across those 40 years. Um, she, you know, she has done so much for the women's game in Brazil and, and all over the world as well. Um, and it's I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see her when Brazil came to Australia to play in those friendlies. And I I can expect that Marta is not too far behind in terms of her retirement as well. So it's the sort of changing of the guard uh, type of situation we've spoken about a couple of times, but yeah, it's, it's just an amazing moment for her and to see the recognition that she's getting all over the world from mainstream media outlets as well that are really recognizing and, and celebrating her contributions to the sport is really special. So how good for Mega's career, how bad she's leaving us. Very much so. Angela, how good? How good from me? Well, it's from all of us, really, because how good we got through to like the final nominations for best sports podcast in the Australian Podcast Awards, which is just, I don't know. I feel like we had, I had a massive like, burst of serotonin when the news came through and I'm still very excited but if we had recorded at that moment it would have just been like screaming um but it's come down a little bit and it's fantastic it's like we're nominated again um along with some absolute legends Osha Osha announced us he said the far po- he knows who the far post is he also was in my mentions but um I'll, I'll get over it um and yeah it's just fantastic and just how good and thank you to everyone who's like tuned in who's listened to who's added to our little listener stats who's pumped us up and also to um I think it's Alex who messaged us on Instagram to be like you guys should enter this and we were like "Mm, yes yes we should so we, we did and we've gotten this far and it's just a massive compliment and yeah I don't know how good how good also vote for us in the listener awards you go to Australian Podcast Awards, just pop it in Google and go to the website. You'll be able to find it. Um, it's also in our link tree, which is in our Instagram bio. So, yes, if you want to show us some more support, we'd love that. Give us a vote. And a shout out to Angela, who did all the painstaking uh, 
paperwork and putting together the nomination so us other three didn't have to do it. Um, how good Angela's nomination skills. Thank you. Thank you. Adam Vice President getting her uh, ex-Vice President admin. now. You're the Vice Always President in our of hearts. this. <laughs> You're the Always Vice President of this enterprise. Also, I just want to read exactly what you wrote on the rundown. We're going to the Pot Awards. New South Wales will never recover. And that is a promise from us three Melbournians. So how yeah. bloody good. Sydney, watch out. And to the yeah. Tillies games. It's going yep. to be Sydney, New South Wales, and she's lucky. Anyway, Harrow, how good? <laughs> I just don't know how I can top that, to be honest. But um, mine is a bit more of a standard how good. It, it does come, it's throwing back a little bit to the Matildas' second game against Brazil. I really like this um, post from the Matildas after um, Jada Wyman got called into the Matildas squad um, with Tegan Micah and Mackenzie Arnold. Um, Mackenzie Arnold actually had COVID but is okay and is now back in England playing. So great to see that Macker is all right. Um, we love to see that she's okay. But Jada Wyman got called in to sit on the bench, um, which meant that we actually had um, three Indigenous Australians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders on the, in the squad. Um, for that second game. So Lydia Williams, Kaya Simon and Jada Wyman. And the Matildas posted a, a really lovely picture of um, the three of them together. Nunga and I won slash Birupi and Wiradjuri slash Yorta Yorta women representing on drag land. You love to see it. Uh, it was just fantastic. And I think it ties into, we saw yesterday. So Tuesday, Football Australia announced the establishment of their National Indigenous Advisory Group. Um, Kai Simon is actually among those on it. It's co-chaired by um, former Socceroo Jade North. Um, so Football Australia making a really concerted effort to, um, I guess, do a better job of engaging with um, Aboriginal and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. But yeah, it's a it's a really good thing to to see, and um, there's some really really impressive names in this advisory group across football. Academic academia, politics, um, all different um, walks of life, some really, really impressive people, and I'm sure they're going to do some really fantastic things. So, yeah, just um, all of that. How good? It's a real how good, and I almost feel bad following up with my really silly how good, but it made me laugh. So, Christy Mewis, as you may or may not know, dating Sam Kerr, you may have seen them be friends at the end of the Olympics, you know. Um, so anyway, Christy has posted a, a photo on Instagram. She's in a blue bikini. She's living her best life. And in the comments, Sam Kerr has written, oh, good. I'm glad everyone tagged me. Wouldn't have seen this otherwise. X. And it just made me laugh because I just, it it made me laugh. So how good to, to Sam Kerr being a little sass queen. So we love to see it. Anyway. That's enough from us today. Thanks for tuning in, echoing Angela's thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for voting for us if you have done so in the listener Listener's Choice Awards. And just thanks for supporting us generally. It, it means a, a lot to the four of us. So we can't thank you enough. I was just going to say thank you to ESPN. I feel like that's a big one. Yes. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you for uh, being silly enough to partner with us. We really appreciate it. We love, we love your work.
We really love your work, but no. And thank you for loving our work. If you've liked this episode, remember you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts to get these episodes directly into your feed. If you like what we do, review it, leave a nice message. If you want to talk to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media and we'll leave all the details for how you can vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award at the Australian Podcast Awards. But until next time, say yes.